welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast for this week. And um, Dave and I, we've uh, we have our our team meeting every Tuesday morning. We're currently working our way through a book on preaching, which I think Dave has mentioned recently, which is very challenging. Makes us think about stuff. One of the things, Dave, we've been thinking about just today is illustrations, isn't it? Yeah. And you mentioned about this um, speeding ticket yeah. that you had. You confessed your sin. Yeah. Uh, but mentioned that quite hilariously for us that it had gone to your parents' house. So your, your mum had seen it before yeah. before you saw it. But um, one of the things we've been seeing about illustrations is you're not supposed to leave people dangling. I felt you left me dangling a little bit, Dave, because you didn't tell me exactly what your mum did and said to you when you got that, that oh, letter. Oh, she was really sweet, actually. So she, <laughs> oh, bless her. She, she boosted it back. She boosted the Cardiff. And I, whenever the letter came through the letterbox, I was like, oh, mum sent me something. This would be nice. <laughs> Open it. I'm like, oh, no. And then later on in the week, she texted me and said, um, did you get a post from me? Question mark. And I was like, yes, I'm so sorry for speeding. And she's like, oh, no, we're just really sad because it got posted to us during your holiday. And then we didn't want to send it. And it'd be the first thing you get when you come back. Oh, bless her. So she was like, you needed to get it before the 30 days expired, but we didn't want it to be the first thing you saw when you came back from the holiday. Uh, so see, she wasn't horrible. She's clearly a better parent than me because I would just use that as an opportunity to, um, at, at the very least, make fun of my child, I think. So, yeah, fair I'm play sure she will. I mean, actually, she recently has been on Speed Awareness course, so I think <laughs> that, 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 that makes a bit of a difference, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, yeah, th- thank you for rounding that illustration off for me anyway, Dave. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, that that was in connection with the the bit that I, that I'd only briefly touched on last week about the word of God being living and active and and all that. And then then you moved into the the, the next part, which is about Jesus as our great high priest. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that you landed us where you did with that, pointing us to Him. Uh, you know, He's our risen, ascended Savior, and now works as our high priest. So let let's start with that. What does it mean that Jesus ascended into heaven yeah. in this passage? It's also just to say. There's always, in all these passages that we're working through, there's so much, isn't there? So whenever, yeah, whenever I went back, it wasn't like, oh, well, Matt didn't do enough. It was actually, I was... That was my next question, whether you just, are you trying to say I didn't cover enough of that, Dave? No, No, I didn't, but I didn't. And as you say, for time reasons. Yeah, Yeah. and people have seen this week, I haven't, I didn't cover everything because, well, time. Yeah. Um, So what does it mean that Jesus ascended into heaven? Um. This is a line in the Apostles' Creed, isn't it? Mm. On the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, that, you know, whenever you read the commentaries, there's a bit of speculation about Jewish understanding of, you know, seven levels of heaven, which, okay, if that is what is, is being talked about, I feel like much more simply, the text seems to be saying that Jesus, our great high priest, isn't offering or interceding on our behalf in a temporary earthly temple, mm. but in the highest heavens before you know the father yeah it's an incredible thought he's not he's not in the holy of holies the most holy place on earth he is in the most holy place in the universe yeah. before the father so mm. you know even studying for this passage it did make my head hurt because <laughs> whenever i think about all these things he's our high priest he's also our temple john mm. one says you know the word tabernacled amongst us mm. he's our sacrifice and he's our king yeah it's he's all we need but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt your head thinking about and I, I think that's a pretty good thing to aim for, isn't it? In terms of us as a church getting the, the pitch right when we're working through something like the Epistle of the Hebrews. If our, if our brain isn't hurt and feeling stretched, there's something wrong. If our hearts aren't feeling warm, there's something wrong. It, yeah. it should be both things happening, shouldn't it? Yeah. Um, thanks, Dave. You, you also um, talked about 
um, holding firmly to the faith we profess, which is clearly something the writer of the Hebrews keeps coming back to, keep going, hang on, hold on yeah. firmly. What does that look like, though, in, to ask a Dave Roll the question again? I like doing this. Yeah. What does that look like in day-to-day life? Um, I think, I mean, it sounds to people are like, oh, change the record. But it is <laughs> keep going and doing the basics, <laughs> like in all things in your sport. The way you keep improving your sport is to do the basics, is to work on your catch, pass, kick, you know, mm. hand eye stuff, the stuff that will make you a better player. So keep doing the basics, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So spend time speaking to him, spend time in his word, hear from him, uh, obey him. That's something yeah. we'll think about later. Uh, you know, if someone asks you if you're a Christian or what you did at the weekend, say, oh, I was at church on Sunday. Because that, I mean, in day-to-day life, what does it look like to hold firmly? It's not to, deny, well, hide it yeah. or hide your light under a bushel, isn't that it? So, and actually, that's one of the things that we've, we've said already, isn't it? That that can potentially, that can be one of the things that starts leading someone away when they start doing those little, yeah. we've all messed up and denied him. Yeah. But when that starts happening a lot, that's a drift, isn't it? Yeah. And that's something to be watched out for. Yeah. yeah that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so how can Jesus have been tempted? And not, I mean, there's so many questions we could ask around this, yeah. isn't it? but how could he have been tempted and not sin? And someone might be thinking, hang on, isn't it sinful to be tempted? So can you maybe unpack that a little bit? Yeah, uh, you could do a deeper dive on all this, couldn't you? Um, it might be helpful just to clarify on this idea of Jesus being tempted. So he was tempted in every area, but it was external and not internal. What do I mean by that? Uh he was not tempted in the same way as us, as he did not have indwelling sin. Mm. So we believe uh, Romans teaches us that um, from Adam, sin we inherit our sinful nature from from Adam. But since Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary of the Holy Spirit, he is the God Man. So he does yeah. not join me in my sin. He 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 could not sympathize with me as a sharer in my indwelling sin. Because that would mean he wouldn't be God and he wouldn't be high priest and he wouldn't be savior. Yeah. So whenever we say in every respect, it means that he identifies with us to the greatest degree possible and in every way possible that is good for us. Mm. So what do I mean? James one thirteen says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. This People probably think I'm, I'm getting very confused. But Jesus wasn't tempted by sin within him. It was external. Yeah. So when we consider the Garden of Gethsemane, like the author to the Hebrews does, Jesus is being really tempted there. He is genuinely being tempted, but he does not sin in the wilderness. He's really being tempted by comfort, uh, power, and his identity. Mm-hmm. But he isn't drawn to it like we are. It's a satanic attack from yeah. external. Yeah. So that's what it means. So it's not sinful to be tempted. It's Sinful to give in to the temptation. Gotcha. Yeah, so when it says in every way as we are, so every area of life we're tempted and Jesus was tempted really powerfully, Yeah. you know. But like you said, externally, it's not because he's got a sinful nature that's yeah. drawing him away. It's because he's been tempted by, by the devil and everything has been thrown at him. Yeah. So in that sense, there's a big difference in him and us. But in, in but he's tempted. There's nothing about temptation we face. We can say Jesus didn't face it because no. he, he did. And he face a greater temptation than we will ever face yeah like we haven't had yeah. all the forces of hell mm. come against us through their best and yeah. and we we don't side. experience the full strength of it i think c.s lewis talks about this and others do we don't experience the full strength of it because so much of the time we give in yeah 
Jesus didn't. He yeah. just kept resisting. It's an incredible thought. So we can't say, Jesus, you don't get it. Yeah. Temptation. He he so does. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, wait, let's keep quick fire here about yeah. some of the key phrases in this passage and the key ideas. What do you think it means to receive mercy in our time of need? Yeah, that's more from verses 14 to 16, isn't it? So mercy obviously means uh, undeserved favor. So whenever we ask God for help in our battle against sin, the temptations, the situations we face, we get mercy, which means we don't deserve mm. God's help because we're sinners, but he graciously gives it to us. And whenever I thought about what does it mean to receive mercy from God in our time of need, you can correct me on this, Matt, if I'm wrong, but mercy from God can look like lots of different things, right? So a phone call from a friend, that's a mercy from God. Like mm. the Spirit, God's ordained that your friend rings you whenever you're having a bad day, potentially. Mm. If someone cooks a nice meal for you on a, on a day that's just been awful, we don't often view these little things as mercies, do we? These wee things as mercies. But with the eyes of faith, we would see them more and more. Like, this is something mm. I do not deserve. This, yeah, you know, friend, this meal, this uh, opportunity to play sport, whatever it is. Mm. But if we actually thought about it more and more, God didn't have to make a world where food is good, friends love us, etc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's his grace to us. That's good. I, I've heard mercy described as kind of, it really overlaps with the idea of grace, isn't it? Because you're basically describing grace there, aren't you? Yeah. That it's, it's not what we deserve. Yeah. I do remember reading recently, I wish I could remember where, that, that mercy kind of carries this aspect too of God being being gracious like that to someone who's in a miserable state. Yeah. And that's that's kind of part of the picture here as well, isn't it? When yeah. we feel we're in a miserable state. Yeah. As yeah. you pa- mapped out very well on Sunday, his heart is going out to us. Yeah. It's interesting. I was reading Psalm 106 before you came into the office and in it it talks about god offering grace and mercy to those in need and the very next verse i can't remember which verse it is it says he sent them his word yeah i thought yeah, yeah uh, i exactly. don't i don't have that perspective yeah but it's helpful to think really about should. do you notice his little comment about waiting for me to come into the office there? I, <laughs> I didn't apologize i was slightly late Dave. no no i was just early <laughs> Uh, so you made a point of general application uh, from the characteristics of the high priest to those in Christian ministry. I think you were really clear that the point of him talking about the high priest was to point to Jesus. Yeah. But kind of along the way, you, you did some application to those in Christian ministry. Uh, why Why did you do that? Why did you make that sort of little detour and apply it in that way? Yeah. So, of course, we're supposed to think of the Lord Jesus and how he's the better fulfillment of the high priest. But I think, I suppose, I was trying to think from a teenager's perspective, you know, why are we hearing about the high priest like his characteristic his qualities why do i care so we're trying to think about mm. helping them understand why we're talking about this and i think it's it's good for people to see that the old testament applies to our lives and particularly leadership today it's not like we just go to the pauline epistles mm. to tell us what a christian leader should look like there's the whole of the old testament that drawn as well yeah and i suppose in our world today we put such an emphasis on style over substance and it's helpful for us just to remind ourselves on a Sunday that Christian leadership is not what the world values because the whole week you're being told leadership is something different and the Bible tells us mm. this is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's an, that could detain us for a whole podcast as well, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to crack on, carry on with the quick fire. Yeah. Um, you briefly mentioned from verse 5 that Jesus didn't demand or take on the honor of being high priest. He, he was humble. He was appointed by God. Um, surely if God anointed him, appointed Jesus, him, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. D- Jesus did take the honor on himself, though. 
Yeah, so I could, the, the, we're getting into the Trinity now and it's going to get complicated, but yeah. let's ask the question. Yeah. So I think whenever I, I hear that question, I think to myself, because as I was thinking through, it was like, oh, he didn't take the honor on himself, but his father appointed him. I'm like, well, surely still the tri- like a God who's appointed him there mm. and he is God. But I think whenever I read this, you know, he could have taken the honor on himself in the sense that he could have been born into royalty or the high priestly line. He could have you know, ordained that as God. Instead, he went to a humble carpenter and to Mary. Mm. So he accepted a, a humble road, the road less traveled to become a high priest through the order of Melchizedek. Mm. You could argue, we don't really understand why Melchizedek is in the scriptures without the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think you get a little hint in the Psalms, but it doesn't really unpack it, does it? No. So without that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to coming back to Melchizedek. Um should I not say this? We, Dave and I were looking at a, a website with one of our one of my favorite preachers, and, and his title for the Melchizedek sermon was "Sorry if I'm pinching this from you now." No, here, no, no. Who the heck is Melchizedek? <laughs> so, Dave's going to be <laughs> Dave's going to be bringing us back to that sometime soon. Um, there have been a couple of times in Hebrews we've alluded back to Genesis one to three. Yeah. Uh, some of the summer psalms. Do we plan these sermon series um, so that they're linked? I, obviously, I know the answer to this, but just yeah, setting you up an easy one. This is a this is a question for the listeners, obviously. Um, so we said at the AGM, didn't we, that we try to have a balanced diet, but also a diet of scripture that helps us understand the other bits. So mm. we looked at Psalm one and two in the summer because they are great for Hebrews. And if you miss those in the summer, maybe go back and give them a wee listen. But also, you know, Psalm one and two are helpful for Matthew's gospel, you know, one first and second Samuel, and the rest of the Bible, but. And we also said, didn't we, that Genesis one to three is a lens through which to see all of the scriptures. So we do. It's not just like Matt randomly flicked open Hebrews, like, oh yeah, fancy it, and <laughs> you know, oh he, you know, Sam, why not? There is a there is thought that goes into this. I yeah. suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, agree with your answer. Um, <laughs> so just moving on through the passage a bit, verse 8. Now, there's, a, there's a bit of a head-scratching verse here, yeah. if you notice it. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he had suffered. And bear in mind, we've been seeing right at the start, this is the eternal son, yeah. creator and sustainer of the universe. It says, son though he was, he learned obedience. So um, could you unpack a little bit for us what that means? And I, I realize I'm checking some tricky ones at you this morning. Um, I think, I mean, it's not me as well, which isn't ideal. Um, <laughs> I think that we've already seen language like this, haven't we, about Jesus being made perfect. So mm. we've touched on that in other sermons and podcasts, but I think Luke chapter 2, verse 52 is helpful here, where we read, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This, of course, is describing Jesus' life growing up as a human being. Mm. This verse tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature with God and man, which doesn't mean he was the all-knowing, all-powerful second person of the Trinity in his human flesh so he wasn't you know a baby speaking you know every language under the sun Mm. it tells us that as a human being he learned things he experienced things he grew Mm. in wisdom and stature um and just prior to this verse people in the temple were amazed by the boy jesus answers and understandings they recognized that his understanding and knowledge was growing and much greater than someone of that age probably would have had so Mm. i suppose what it means for Jesus to learn obedience is that he learned obedience by living an ordinary, plodding, spirit-filled, faith-filled life, waking up, eating food, doing his trade. He learned obedience in the ordinariness 
that's a word of yeah. life he was made perfect when he had lived his perfect life when he you know not you know when you when he got his 100 percent record whenever he ticked all the boxes never mm-hmm. sinning and all the things god called him to so yeah. he wasn't perfect until he finished the race mm-hmm. he yeah. passed every test so there's like there's this it seems like a paradox and it's, it's it seems like a contradiction. It's not, is it? You know, this, this is the perfect sinless son of God. It's not that he was ever sinful and had to give up his sin to become yeah. perfect. He's already sinless and perfect. But so I guess it was as the God man, yeah. he had to be complete. He had to be obedient to be our, our yeah. high priest, our mediator, etc. And, yeah. and it's it's around that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's sort of, I know we see the race illustration in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, don't we? Mm. But, to qualify for the Olympics, you have to meet certain criteria, don't you? Mm. To then just run the race. Yeah. So Jesus comes into the, this world and then is qualified, runs the race. And yeah. only once he's run the race, does he get the gold medal, yeah. the perfect life. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and then he, we see also in this passage, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Uh, so, I can imagine someone asking that word obey can make us a bit fidgety sometimes as good gospel Christians. Yeah. Is that legalism? Is that saying when we obey him up to a certain point, then we get saved? What, what's going on there? Yeah. So good question. But here's some of the sayings of Jesus. We often forget John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commands. Mm. <laughs> we forget about that one. Don't we? We don't like hmm. that one. Jesus tells us that being <clears throat> a follower of his means doing what he says. We also find that in Matthew 7, uh, people say to him on the last day, Lord, Lord, and he replies, I never knew you. Mm. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, which implies that these people were followers of him in word, but weren't in their deeds and actions. Mm. We forget that when we read the beginning of Mark's gospel, that Jesus began to proclaim the good news. He said, repent, turn from the evil things you have done, live differently. So, this isn't salvation by works. Of course, we know that Jesus is the source, the power to be saved. Mm. But we show that we've been saved, that he's a work in us by obeying his commands. You yeah. know, if I, again, I know often we come back to the marriage illustration, which people fa- might find frustrating, but I don't say I'm married. I know I get to do what I want. Yeah. You know, if I said to me, oh, all these rules, this is about the relationship, like, mm. just let me do what I want. She would say, yeah. you're obviously a nutter if you just want to, yeah. you know, go out and, not that I do, but go out and kiss other girls and do whatever. And that, that's the important thing, is it, it, yeah. it's obedience in this context. It, it, it's relational, isn't it? Yeah. It's not about ticking a box or ruining our salvation. That was achieved by Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And, and we simply put our faith in him, but it's putting obedience in the right place in the equation kind of thing, isn't it? If we're truly saved, yeah. obedience will result yeah. Because we love him. Yeah. So exactly. important, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we keep these things in our heads balanced. Then that keeps us from legalism on the one hand and slipping into, yeah. doesn't matter how I live, ism on the other hand. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Antinomianism? Antinomianism. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, Dave, with the big hey, word. biggest word so far. <laughs> ah, I'm going to challenge now by the end of the podcast just to try and come up with a bigger one. I don't think I can. Um, I love the way you drew our attention to the fact that Jesus really knows what it's like to be human. Um, to lose a loved one, to be single. Something I don't That's think about enough. Yeah. Are there any areas of human experience, here's a big one, that he can't identify with? Yeah. Just the thing about that single one, it is mental because sometimes we talk or not talk. Maybe we act as though being married is the pinnacle is the, hmm. the goal of being a yeah. Christian. Yeah. But actually, uh 
Jesus, like the Lord, Paul, yeah, others were single their whole, yeah. whole lives. So that's just something to think about, isn't it? Mm. Um, so the actual question that I'm now going to answer is, are there any areas of human experience he can't identify with? Well, I think it would say there's no temptation that he cannot understand. So we, we read in the wilderness the three ways in which he's tempted and tested by the devil, mm. comfort, power, and identity. So in all those areas of our lives, he understands the underlying currents of our hearts, the things that drive us, because he's an expert in the human heart, because he created it. We saw about that on Sunday. So someone might push back and say, well, he doesn't understand what it means to be in a bad marriage. But we read the book of Hosea, mm. don't we? And we're reminded that Jesus is in the worst marriage ever. That's a good example, actually. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. With an unfaithful, adulterous bride. Mm. So, but I suppose he fully... He fully sympathizes and understands our weaknesses. He better understands them than we do ourselves because ultimately, I feel like many of our temptations boil down to those things, to comfort, mm. to to power, and to our identity. So yeah. whilst you might say, okay, he hasn't necessarily been, you know, in this situation, you know, uh, maybe a a colleague at work mm. is uh, pressuring you to do something you don't want to do. But Jesus often is like, oh, yeah. people yeah. were trying to get him to do things yeah, that massively. he was like, this is not what I'm here to do. Mm. So he fully, you almost, whenever you read the, the gospels, you have to think to yourself, well, in this situation, how is Jesus being pressured and how can he understand yeah. my life? And as, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, going back to the tempted in every way as we are, um, yeah, he did not sin. It'd be easy to think, well, there you go. So that that's one way in which, the only way in which um, we might be saying it's the only way in which he's not like us because he had no internal drive to sin. He didn't have a sinful nature, even though he knows what temptation is. Yeah. You could go on from there and think, well, there you go. So Jesus doesn't know what shame is, like, for example. But then you've got to think about, we've got to think about the cross. On the cross, yeah. He, he, he took our shame. Yeah. Um. So even that, not shame it. for his own sin, but yeah. he, there's nothing he doesn't, sympathize and empathize with and understand it's incredible isn't it yeah and that's the my god my god why have you forsaken yeah. me like that is yeah that's shame isn't yeah. it um mm. yeah even you know ridiculous at the moment with my snotty nose i like i imagine you're not getting the visual effect listeners no. <laughs> i imagine he is snotty. surely the lord experienced illness on earth well, do you know what? Is that something that's well, that controversial? I don't Because it's very, the effects of the fall. Very quick aside, I had a very brief conversation. There's a reading group I've joined with lots of big brains, and I'm feeling very, I'm struggling to no, keep up. No, you're, if you've been invited to the big uh, brain club. You, you haven't met them, I'm struggling okay. to keep up. <laughs> We're discussing this. And there is a stream of sort of evangelical reform theology that says Jesus never got ill, which I've never understood. And I'm still not sure I agree with that. But the, the thinking is that... Um, illness is connected with having a fallen sinful nature and therefore although jesus experienced suffering and temptation that's why some christians think he didn't experience illness personally i'm not sure i'm understanding it all but i ain't convinced yeah. i i don't think we can say jesus didn't have a sniffle because yeah. he experienced life in a fallen world like us even though he didn't have a sinful yes. human nature yeah fine sorry I've... we'll do a podcast on that sometime once yeah. i think i maybe understand it um, last question again i like this because it gives me a final another chance to uh, do a dave lauder on you yeah um off the back of showing us what a wonderful high priest he is you said a few times that we should we should go to him which is lovely for me i was really warm in my heart i think that's what i need to do when i'm when i'm struggling 
um, when I feel I need my high priest, I go to him. But here's the Dave Law, the awkward question bit. You, you're what using, is it? No, no, wait. You're using Dave Law there in quite a negative, <laughs> quite a negative joke. Are there. you denying that you do this though, Dave? Well, no, ask, exactly. Ask a question. You asked a very good, awkward question, but, but what does it mean to go to him? So if anybody was thinking, that sounds lovely. What does that mean, Dave? What does that yes. look like for me? How do you answer that? Because I think I've said to you before, what on earth is flee? Flee to Jesus? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Flee or cling or, yeah. yeah. So good question. Quite jargony. I think in those moments, we're really praying that the Holy Spirit applies the truth to people's hearts so they know what that means. Because yeah. even whenever I say it, I'm like, oh, I know what that means. But good question. What does it mean? I mean, don't go to those sins that you usually go to for comfort. Yeah. Don't go to the yeah. money you usually go to for security. Don't go to that person you always go to for advice. Mm. So if you're going somewhere, it means you're leaving where you are currently and moving towards the, mm. the other destination. So I think I think what it means to go to him is depend on him. Yeah. Ask him for help. Trust his word to guide you in your decisions. Even, even if that means going in the opposite direction as mm. everyone else. Uh, so I suppose in its simplest form, I mean, leave behind the other things you think you need and instead move towards your great high priest in faith. Mm. Uh, yeah. Is that is that still jargony? No, no, I think that's really helpful because when you said that, ask him for help, it reminded me of the one of the things I find I need to do sometimes. This just happens to be what works for me. Yeah. To ask as in speak out loud. That That's a concrete yeah. way I find I can actually go to Jesus because I can't physically go to him right now. So how do I do that? Well, yeah. for me, asking out loud whatever points us towards him isn't it yeah keeps us trusting him that's that's good thanks yeah. dave okay we've yeah. wow i feel good out of breath I haven't gone through all them because that, that was quite rapid fire well done you, you held up well um <laughs> me me and the listeners both, <laughs> well both yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah look forward to seeing you sunday please be praying for me because i i've got a passage that i heard one um commentator one preacher refer to just this week as uh the, the most controversial and difficult passage in the new testament it's like oh really okay so maybe that'll get you interested enough to read ahead yeah. um in the first part of uh hebrews 6 please be praying about that and uh we look forward to seeing you all on sunday yeah shout out actually to my life trip last week i was banging my head against the wall and all of them were praying flowed for me so yeah i'm very thankful for okay that. well there you go well i'm asking a whole church so even even better <laughs> <laughs> well, you. you're saying Everyone who listens to this podcast. Well, yeah. And you're assuming that's the whole truth. All six of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Bye. See you on Sunday, guys.